podcast starts. Hello everyone, welcome, if this is your first time listening to the show, and uh, welcome back, if you're a returning listener, thanks for sticking with us. This is a podcast that talks about horror, horror in film, TV, other media, other items which we think of as adjacent to horror, and sometimes other things from our lives which we'd like to talk about, just because that's who we are. Our discussions aim to be fun, intelligent and hopefully useful if your interest in horror texts comes from a creative or academic perspective, but be warned, we do tend to swear occasionally, and if it's anything less offensive than the C word, it won't get bleeped. So, if you can still go into your place of work, we are probably not safe for it. In this episode, I'm going to be joined by two hosts, and we're going to be talking about a movie that all three of us enjoy and think you should go and see if you haven't seen it. 1980s big screen, big budget ghost story starring George C. Scott and Trish Van Der Veer, The Changeling. I'm T.D. Velasquez in Oldham, but as always, you can call me Dan. I'm joined by... Stella in Manchester. Hello, Stella. And also by... Ian in Cheshire, still. Still. <laughs> still trapped in I Cheshire. Left, I haven't left Cheshire for a very long time now. No. Oh, dear. Yeah, same with me and Oldham. Um, this is our first recording of 2021, so I want to say Happy New Year to you both. Yay. Yeah. Or, or perhaps, as one of my colleagues said to me last week, well, New Year anyway. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. No, it's, um... Yeah, that's about the size of it. It's uh, it's not it's still 2020 until something nice happens. <laughs> yes, essentially. Mm. Well, yeah. I think I think maybe New Year starts on January the 20th, right, kids? <laughs> let's let's hope so. Let's hope so. Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, actually, I suppose I just have had a a nice bit of news in the last half hour. Uh, I mentioned that I'm from Oldham. I don't normally say that. Stella, you're from Oldham, although you don't live in Oldham anymore. And this Oldham has just got some cool points with me because I've just seen the news report saying that we've given the COVID vaccine to homeless people when nobody else has yet. And oh, well. Good stuff. The the, uh, the medical chap from Oldham Council who was in charge of that said we wanted to set an example to all the other boroughs. Cool. Yeah, that's decent. That's that is very decent. Well done, Oldham. Yeah. I look forward to hearing Katie Hopkins about that somewhere. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm sure people will have things to say. Um, yeah, um, <laughs> Because it's uh, nominally a new year, I'm interested in, uh, have either of you had New Year's resolutions and have you stuck to them? Yes, nope. and yes. All right. Okay. So, um, Ian, I think you have to go first. What What are your resolutions? Not very original, but just to uh, not have any alcohol. All right. Whatever. No. Well, I I spent a long time not drinking, quite often, um, and then lockdown made us me and my wife get very sloppy. Yeah. Same. It, became, it was easy, we're wasn't just it? Drinking during lockdown, and then it was like I've put on two stone. <laughs> I appear to be drinking enough beer. Yeah, <laughs> I think at the start, the, the first lockdown, lockdown one, the weather was kind of all right. So it kind of we definitely lent into having beers of a mm. weekday just because the sun was out and we were at home and we got a garden to sit in. And then after a few weeks of that, it was like 
yeah, I should probably stop this now. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. We're trying just, to stay healthy, but yeah. Lockdown merged into, well, it's Christmas soon. And then, <laughs> and then it just, you know. And then, so it's, it wasn't like we were drinking lots. We were just drinking often. Yeah, that's what and we I were doing. I think half the country was. Every time I went mm. in the, every time I went in the supermarket, I wasn't alone in, well, I'm doing a big shop. I'd better get in alcohol. <laughs> and, uh, and, you'd, and everyone would cane the alcohol they'd bought just like you do at christmas but yeah in March, april May. and <laughs> May then June. the one thing you'd go back in the supermarket for was to top up on alcohol because you had yeah. no food in <laughs> yeah. so, you bought two weeks worth of food so you didn't have to go out but i'm just going to go around to the corner shop because i've yeah. drank all the wine and i need to get some more i have yeah. to say even mum and i did go out every week well several days a week sometimes to sit in the garden and have a sherry and now Good we have God. we stopped doing that when it went when it got cold. So now we have yeah. loads of bottles of sherry just standing there. <laughs> I think I think the, I think it works indoors as well. <laughs> That's true. It That's true. Does. We should try that more often. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So Stella, did you mean you had no resolutions, or have you not um, achieved the ones you did have? <laughs> no, I don't make resolutions. I think if. I don't know. January's hard anyway. Even when there's not a pandemic, January's all you can do is breathe in and breathe out and wait for it to be over, really. And I think putting a New Year's resolution on yourself at this time of year is never good. And if I do want to start something new or I don't know, so yeah, to so just try and make changes and I'd leave it to other points in the year where I feel more able to do so. Like, and maybe it's because I still work in an academic time frame as well. I always feel like September is a good time to start something new mm. because it's still feel, it's like it's the next year for me, isn't it? So, yeah, January, it's just, I think, be nice to yourself, be kind to yourself and relax. Yeah. And then soon there'll be more sun, even though, you know, I'm not very a sun person, but, you know, because right. it's been pissing down for days and days and days and yeah two days ago it was sunny and i went outside and it was lovely yeah yeah and it didn't feel quite so bad and then i came back inside and then it started raining again for two days and now it's, i can't ugh. even go walking at the moment except at the pace of a five-year-old child because i'm homeschooling <laughs> so it's mm. you know at least when i was by myself writing and kelly was going to work and i was taking mm. her to school i was also then doing my big Let's do a, however many steps a day. Yeah, you can get a stomp on, can't you? I'm, I'm doing writing and then, you know, yeah. now it's literally, well, I'll tell everybody, this is why I'm probably, probably going to start dribbling live on the podcast. <laughs> My routine at the moment is Kelly's, Kelly's doing her archaeology, so she gets up at five in the morning to drive off to the dig. I get up pretty much when she's left um, and start writing because I've got loads of writing to do, um, <laughs> loads of deadlines to meet. And then Elliot, he goes to bed quite late, so he sees his mum, um, gets up at nine, and we start we start doing homeschooling till three. And then... That's a lot. And then I make his tea, and then we're all going to bed about literally nine o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> and the whole house goes to bed at nine, of nine half nine. So... That's yeah. that's that's. I feel like this week has been the longest week of my life. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a lot. We've got weeks of them to go. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Okay. Well, but at the same time, I am not drinking, and I feel fine, and I'm getting lots of work done every morning. No, that's good. That's so, great. Well, there is that. So, so it's yeah. you know, it's, I just wish there was room to 
have some exercise too. Mm. <laughs> you could always do Joe Wicks in the morning. I know. I've never been a jump <laughs> up and down on the spot. I did that. I like swimming, and that's the one thing I've not been able to do since March. I've started running again. I did I that for a month, and then I wanted to take out a restraining order against Joe Wicks. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, uh, I, I wouldn't recognise him in the street, to be honest. <laughs> well, he made a just, he made a fool of himself the other morning. Have you seen that? What? Joe Wicks made a fool of himself the other day. Did he? He's been floating around the internet. He um. I mean, apologies in advance for how childish this is, but he put put on his YouTube live stream and for about 20 seconds he didn't think it was live or it had gone on yet. And he did the most enormous fart. (laughs) And everybody heard. So kids all around the country, hysterical. (laughs) Hasn't he got an OBA now? I think he should be given (laughs) another one for doing that. So I was just thinking that, you know, parents asking their kids in years' time, what, you know, what do you remember about lockdown that f- <laughs> when Joe Wicks farted? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that's wonderful. What, so, yeah, yeah. season 10 and Joe Wicks farting? <laughs> <laughs> if you look at it on Twitter, basically his Twitter was alight within seconds. Like, oh, my God. Well, it's very flammable. But, yeah. <laughs> well, oh, dear. These are yeah. things anyway. which get us through. So the reason I asked you both about your New Year's resolutions mm-hmm. is that my resolution is to give up streaming services. Because oh. um, this is a bit of a long-winded way of going about it, but there's a great um, Armando Iannucci sketch that I remember from his obscure TV show, The Armando Iannucci Shows, which is still available yeah. to watch on all four and is very good there's a great sketch where he goes to like a support group or an aa group or something and everybody's talking about the problems and when it comes around to him he says that he's been through this situation but he but he's finally come to a realization he says i think that human beings are only made truly happy by two things one is unwrapping a newly bought cd and the (laughs) other is seeing other people fail and then when that show was released on dvd a few years later because dvds had happened they put that quote on the box but they changed cds to dvds and i think now that quote would be starting a new streaming service because you know during the course of last year i started disney plus started shudder i started britbox and i love that the first couple of days the honeymoon period of going oh what's on it <laughs> you know um but then eventually things start to disappear as we found out this week didn't we as a group yes when yeah. uh, when stella wanted to watch the changeling on shudder which we thought it was it was on shudder until moments ago um <laughs> but then it just it suddenly wasn't and you know the other week um i wanted to watch hannibal on netflix and that just vanished and I thought, I'm paying for these things. Oh, has it gone? Um, it has vanished from Netflix, but it's reappeared on Amazon Prime. Um, yeah. So, oh, you know, so I decided, look, there's there's all four, there's my five, there's BBC, there's all these relatively free or free-ish streaming services. I'm just going to stick to those and get rid of all the others. Having said that, I have failed <laughs> in my New Year's resolution because I haven't cancelled any of them yet but I aim to do so before the end of the month. I just find them a bit too useful at the moment. Well, 
you'll find when you cancel Gritbox that they go, oh, do you really want to go? And you go, yes. And they go, are you sure? Because we're not going to charge you for three months and then we'll only charge you £10. which is what i ended up going okay i'll i'll stay on i might just do that okay let's see (laughs) it made me go i watch it often enough for 10 pounds for three months to be fair i've 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 had it for two months and i've really got use out of it i've watched tinker taylor soldier spy and we started watching rising damp (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's the future Stella, you have to understand, me, me and my mum have watched every episode of Dad's Army and Porridge during lockdown. We need other old sitcoms to get us through together. Red Dwarf. I, I don't... That? Uh, that's that brilliant. For you, um, a, you can get it for free on... Uh, oh, no, I think... Oh, no, Netflix has some of it, and, yeah, and some of it's on UK TV Play, which is free. Um, but, yeah, my mum wouldn't enjoy it. But um, it's there for me. Um, anyway, so I just wanted to talk about Fresh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Yeah, all six seasons are on BBC. Oh, well, that's right, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, I've seen that advertised. Wow. Okay. You can go for that. Um, possibly not, but <laughs> she'll know the theme song within a few episodes. I tell you what, um, we watched Last of the Summer Wine a lot as well. Um, the thing oh, that is always. I know. The thing that has for many decades been guaranteed to make my mum laugh is the sight of a man falling over or walking into something. So something like Last of the Summer Wine is perfect. But because I had Britbox, we had access... Looking forward to the Biden presidency. Well, yes. (laughs) We had access to not just ordinary episodes of Last of the Summer Wine, but the extra long Christmas episodes. You might not know this, but in like the the 80s... They had 90 minute long feature length Christmas episode. I'm older than you. I remember watching the one with the dead body. But I think that might be on there. Our whole family laughing our head off. There's a dead. It's actually good. There's a dead body. Is it actually a dead body? Yeah, there's a dead guy, and they're all trying to keep it secret, and they're carrying his dead body around for ninety minutes. I'm pretty sure that is on BritBox because I left my mum watching it. I didn't. Probably is. Yeah. I ended up missing the entire... I don't know what I was doing for 90 minutes, but I ended up missing the entire thing. But I think it was called <laughs> Someone's Body or something. Yes, possibly. Yeah. Anyway, all this is irrelevant, except to say that, yeah, Stella couldn't watch the changeling uh, when uh, when we, we really needed it. However, luckily, both Ian and I are furnished with the DVD. I have it yeah. to hand. Which is available for pennies on... If you want to give money to Amazon. And I'm sure available yeah. at the- I think when I bought it, it was only about three quid when I bought it, and I think that was 15 years ago. So, today's episode is we're going to talk about The Changeling. It's a film we've all seen before and we all like. And before we go into the discussion, let's have a listen to the trailer of the movie. Within this old house live two residents. One of them is John Russell, composer, professor. The other has been dead for over 70 years. Claire, I'd like to talk to you about the house. Did you die in this house? How did you die? Whatever it is, it's trying desperately to communicate. What is it in that house, Claire? What is it doing? Why is it trying to reach me? Hello? 
John Russell. I'm living in your house. Senator, look. Look, I want to, I want to show him that. You've got something of the senator's. He wants it back. Here we go, The Changeling. We're going to talk about it in spoiler-free way for the first few minutes, but then we're going to go into a full spoilery analysis, and I'll, I'll let the listeners know. Um, the Changeling was made in 19... or released in 1980, directed by the Hungarian UK-based director uh, Peter Madak, and starring George C. Scott and Trish van der Veer. Ian, you suggested that we cover this film in the podcast, so I'd like you to talk about it first. Yeah, um, on the spot. Um... Tell us about why you love The Changeling. Well, I love it, but I also... I, it's weird, because I've just mentioned Amazon before the trailer, but um, actually, it was one of those... Amazon's not all evil. It was one of those, if you like this, you'll like that, a few years ago. All right. And I'd kind of only vaguely heard of it, and so I clicked on it and went, why not? It's two ninety nine, I think it was. Um and it arrived, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is a really good film. And it was, you know, it's it's uh, it's uh, it's, it's genuinely scary, um, I think. Again, there are probably some people may disagree, and I can see why they might disagree, things we can talk about in the spoilery bits. But um, and George C. Scott is a, is a really, you know, there's a reason he's George C. Scott. He's a, an amazing screen presence. I love the plot of it. One of the main reasons I like it is because I'm fascinated by ghost stories and the fact that it's it's a, it's a genre that's hard to tell because, like, how do you do another ghost story? Like, ever since God knows when, but if we go back to, say, the Victorian era and, and onwards, how do you do a ghost story that's scary and not and play with the cliches and, you know, and the innocence kind of ruined, ruined it for everybody in a way because they made, they made the best ghost story ever in 1960. And they also imprinted the cliches on people's heads as well. So ghost stories are fascinating when they're successful for me. And what I like about the changeling is it's, a, it's actually a mystery. It, and, and the ghost isn't actually mm. once the ghost isn't evil he's not like the ghost of an evil person it's a ghost of an innocent and so the actual bad people mm. are dead or or living um and know what happened <laughs> that about, probably applies to most movies <laughs> yes yeah. yes but um, i'm just saying um but yeah yeah i just real I, I i just realized i was heading into spoiler territory um, but basically, I like. But <laughs> yeah, just yeah. like I just, it's 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 just an amazingly well-made film as well. I mean, it, the, the art department mm. 
the hats off to them because those props look amazing the house looks amazing um mm. and it's a it's a really it's a really well-made film in lots of ways which i i noticed roger ebert was a bit sniffy saying in his review i was looking at reviews before and it's generally generally very well regarded but roger ebert at the time said if a film being very well made um and well acted was the only was all you needed to make a ghost story that would be fine but this isn't scary it's just very well made and i would disagree um that it also works <laughs> as it a movie. Um, and I think most people do as well. I mean, generally, it's not it's not as well known as lots of other films. But on Rotten Tomatoes, for instance, it's, it's no. pretty fresh. Um, so everyone who has seen it generally really likes it. I think it's, it's definitely better regarded now than it was at the time. Uh, I think mm. I started to hear about it around the time that the others came out. Um, the director of that, Alejandro Aminabar, talks about The Changeling as mm-hmm. one of his scariest movies. Um, so, um, yeah. Um, by the way, I should point out um, that this film is not to be confused with the Clint Eastwood, Angelina Jolie movie, Changeling. It's not no. to be confused with the uh, <laughs> the 16th century Jacobean tragedy, The Changeling by Middleton and Rowley which some of my right. friends studied at A-level, and it's not to be con- uh, confused with the changelings from Star Trek New Space Nine, which are aliens. Um, yeah. It is the changeling, but to, to explain are, the title would maybe be a spoiler. When um, you, when you, there are no, not that we should ever do, but there are no snide copies of it on YouTube, but there are a lot of student productions of the changeling. All right. <laughs> okay. All over YouTube. I was like, oh, somebody snide copy, and we will be able to get Stella to watch it. Right. But you bought the DVD instead, so that was fine. Yeah. Um, Don't worry, they've had plenty of money out of us. So, yeah. um, <laughs> Ian, is there anything else you'd like to say about it in a non-spoiler fashion before I ask Stella what her initial thoughts are? Um, it's got Gene Marsh in it, which is a good spot for Doctor Who fan. Yes, yes, although she's not in it for a long time. No, but that's a spoiler. <laughs> I, um, actually, I'd, well, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure it is a spoiler when someone disappears before the opening title. <laughs> you know, I think. No, but you're still, you're still, it's good to watch it. I love watching films and literally not knowing what they're about. Maybe it's because I've been a film critic all these years. Yeah. Sure. And literally, they haven't made the trailer yet when we get to see lots of films. Like it's yeah. in a really so literally, you know. Usually, you don't know what a film's about. So yeah. anyway, yeah, fair enough. Um, so, but but, but uh, also the music's really amazing. Yes, so, it um, is. I love the music by uh, Ken Ken Wa- Ken Wanberg. Uh, the mu- well, the music's composed by Rick Wilkins. Ken Wanberg orchestrated it.
and there's also a spooky um, music box in the movie that plays a lullaby and the lullaby yeah. is written by Howard Blake um, yeah. do, you, do you know his work he, he um, scored episodes of the Avengers TV series in the 60s he scored the parts of Flash Gordon the movie that were not scored by Queen um, <laughs> because the, the producers didn't have enough money to pay Queen to score the whole film um, uh-huh. But what he's probably most <laughs> famous for is that he wrote, "We're walking in the air." Oh God! So trivia. <laughs> That's good trivia. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. So um, <clears throat> this is one of his two contributions to horror cinema. The other one being that that song from the Snowman is in the music of the movie The Keep, Michael Mann's horror film from 1983. For some reason. They thought that it was appropriate to, to put that into the score. Um, right. And some people would agree, but you've kind of got to see the movie. Um, so, Stella, yes. you had grown up watching this movie and hadn't seen it for many, many years before watching it for this podcast. So mm. what are your thoughts about it now? Well, I first watched it when I was a kid and I shouldn't have been watching it. I was, I was under 10 and... I was off school sick and I was quite feverish and I watched The Changeling. So I was rightly terrified and I saw it now as a kid. I did think about various iconic moments in the film mm-hmm. a lot <laughs> when I was a kid. And then it's I'd not seen it since, since this week. So that, I reckon it's probably 20 odd years. No more. Wow. I don't know, a number of years, maybe 30 years since I've seen it. And uh, it's, I'd always put it on my list of like, you know, sort of top top 10 horror films, even though I'd not seen it for so, so long, just because I remembered how much it bothered me when I was a kid. Um, sure. So, so yeah, so having to see it again this week was an interesting exercise in, is it scary or was I just running a temperature at uh-huh. the time when I watched it? And I reckon I'd say no, it's genuinely unsettling in a in a sort of nineteen mid nineteen seventies to nineteen eighties kind of way. Reminded me of the feel of a lot of other films mm. that I also probably watched when I was younger. Like you know, it felt like at times like I was watching The Omen, or you know, yeah, yeah, it's got those similar sorts of vibes going on with it. Um, but yeah, if you want a uh, creepy house and a spooky kid then this is your film although the one one problem with it is by the end and this isn't a spoiler by the end i was really really sick of the way claire said john (laughs) do you know claire is the character played by trish van der veer who was george c scott's wife at the time and apparently there is a moment in the film i didn't notice it when i rewatched it but she calls him george um but they left it in because the take was otherwise very good it's one of the moments d- d- towards the end of the film when she's really um i think freaked i did out. hear that yeah 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 but the way she said his name by the end was making me grind my teeth that's the only right <laughs> the only issue i have with it <laughs> she's got quite a thankless um Quite a thankless part, really. She has, really, yeah. She screams um, like a Doctor Who girl from, from you yeah. know, early Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, and, John. And, uh, <laughs> and freaks out a lot. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Although um, I think that 
sometimes, quite often, the effectiveness of a scary story is is measured by how scared the people in it are, and she's yeah, quite yeah. believably scared. And you know, it, yeah. if, I think Jamie Lee Curtis proved that. You know, you've got to be good at being scared of stuff to be good in horror movies. Mm. That's where yeah, her yeah. career came from, and um, and mm. and yeah, I think Trish Van Der Veer does a good job here. Um, oh yeah, yeah, no, she's a cracking actress, but um, yeah, yeah, just yeah. just she's probably made more of it than it is on paper because she basically delivers information and screams. In yeah. The script. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Comes nice. in a room, delivers information, screams, yeah. on, and then leaves. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so I just want to say a few things about it before we move into spoilers. Oh, yeah, your um, opinion, <laughs> yes, thank thank you, Ian. Um, so uh, I discovered this movie twenty odd years ago. I came across a screening of it on Bravo, if you remember that satellite channel. God, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think I only saw the beginning of it, and I maybe they hadn't got a very good print. Um, so I kind of thought I don't want to watch the rest of it. I can't remember why I didn't see it all, but I do remember thinking the beginning was really striking. I think the the opening couple of minutes before yeah. the title are just so powerful. And basically, mm-hmm. it made, when I saw it on DVD in HMV ten years or so later, I just thought, right, I'm having that. And basically, I bought it and watched it with my mum. I can sit down and watch ghost stories with me, with Mum. Not so much Red Dwarf, but ghost stories are okay. <laughs> um, and, Makes no sense. And it was good. Um, yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> and then a f- every few years, I, I tend to watch it again. I've seen it, I think, three times now. And it's usually precipitated by a podcast. Um, I should apologise to our friend Spider Dan, because he did an episode about the Changeling on his show just about three months ago. Um Listen to our one now and then watch the film and then go back and listen to the others. There's also, about five years ago, the podcast The Greatest Movie Ever did it and that made me want to watch it again, which I did. I really like it. I think it's frightening. Um, I I think it's beautifully made. It, it's it got incredible cinematography by John Coquillion, the British cinematographer of iconic horror movies of the late 60s and 70s like Witchfinder General mm. and Straw Dogs, if you count that as a horror movie. It's quite horrible. <laughs> mm. It is, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, he, he, he kind of, in fact, I wish that the Wicker Man had been shot by him. I think he kind of defined outdoorsy horror. Oh. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I think that would have been lovely. But And he also shot Scream and Scream Again, which um, Howard and I have done an episode about in our Lee Cushing series. Uh, um, yeah, it, it's and, and there's a lot of kind of low-angle, wide-angle photography in it. it. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. It's not, in a way, that the kind of camera approach is not unlike John Hoff's, which we talked about in The Legend of Hell mm-hmm. House. Except just not not as crazy as that movie, or not as frantic. Yeah, um, it's, it's yeah. kind of more more sober. Yeah, no, no, there were lots. Of, there this... was loads of interesting angles, and the high angles always jumped out mm. at me because you do get the idea that they're being there's probably a sniper. <laughs> in the, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be, the feeling of being watched is brilliantly, is brilliantly yeah. evoked in so many. And the you were saying about sort of the look of it, the the architecture. Mm whatever contributed to the choice of all not just the haunted house but the the amazing building that the um, yeah that the, the senator's in that weird looking one yeah yeah 
and, the, and, the, yeah. and even, even the building that the um, you know that the uh, historical society yeah. were in as well. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. That was a hotel in um, Toronto yeah, or somewhere, yeah. I think, or Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, most of it was yeah. a Canadian because movie, wasn't it? Canadian, yeah. Pretending to be American. It, yeah, um, it's it's supposed to be set in Seattle, but mostly filmed in I think Vancouver. Yeah. Um, looks that way I think and and but it mostly gets away with it I think it's only towards the end of the film that quite a lot of bit part actors turn up who've got a noticeably Canadian accent <laughs> there's or even kind of French Canadian no, there's, there's no, um, no, a police inspector character <laughs> all right okay oh there's this but well anyway um I, I it's just a couple of the the minor characters, but mostly, um, you know, apparently lots of American movies or lots of Canadian movies kind of um, attempt to pretend to be American, yeah. and American audiences get used to spotting that. And and also you've got American movies that that film in Canada just because it's yeah, cheaper. Yeah, definitely. There's loads. And, and yeah, and uh, it's a giveaway either way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a beautifully made film. Uh, yeah, the music is great. There's a lovely atmosphere. Um, I think before we go into spoilers, we should just talk about the fact as well that it's really based on a true story. And I think, Ian, you're probably the best person to talk about that. So in the movie... Um, I, think, I think we should probably go into the spoilers bit because the true story is so close okay. to the plot of the film well, that it would be... It, now I've said that especially. <laughs> okay, well, um, but basically, basically, it's it's a lot. It's alarming how and very interesting how how close to the plot the actual thing that is based on is. Well, let me do a quick sum up of the film story, and then we'll we'll go into spoilers and we'll have the real story. Yeah, yeah. So right. yeah, yeah. So uh, in the movie, uh, in the movie, George C. Scott plays John Russell. He's a composer. Um, and he basically rents this huge mansion because he wants a, a decent place to compose and teach music in and, and rehearse and that kind of thing. And he starts to hear strange sounds and he starts to look into the past of the building and that's where the detective story element comes in. There's clearly something in uh, the house and he wants to identify what the presence is. Anything more than that would be a spoiler. So if you haven't seen the movie, go away now and watch it. However, if you once you have seen the movie, welcome back. And now <laughs> Ian will tell you the real story behind the right, movie. Gather round, everybody. <laughs> gather round. <laughs> so is um, Russell Hunter, who obviously they take the uh, they take the name of the yeah. antagonist in this, um, is. Uh, is Russell is yeah. his Christian name? So, but Russell Hunter is is got a based on a story by, who's a writer, playwright, and composer, and I'm sure he did many many things in his life. But uh, the Changeling seems to be about the only thing yeah. pops up yeah. for these days. Um, in uh, you can never quite tell what your legacy is going to be, but um, he basically was a composer who rented a massive house. And basically what happens in the film happened right. to him. With And it's interesting to see the bits that didn't happen in real life are a kind of how do you make a real ghost story into a story that will support a movie. 
But the basic thing is he started hearing the banging of the pipes and and all the um uh, and all the sort of stuff that happened um he ended up severing an artery because a uh, because a uh, because a uh, a window a glass glass door exploded in front of him uh. um and it severed an artery in his thing um this is this is this is what he says uh and then he and then he went into um he he went he sort of looked into it and found out um he said it was yeah and then they had a séance much like in the film and the deceased child said he was buried somewhere and they looked into him and they realized and when they looked into it they found that a, um somebody had the, the the boy the dead boy as in the film um hadn't officially died and somebody had gone on to live to old age and what they found and they found his they based on this they found a boy buried and they found a medallion around his neck that it was actually the boy who who you know a changeling had been brought in from a, had been from an mm. orphanage um so that spooky going on that's sort of most of the plot of the changeling apparently happened um but in reality he freaked out and didn't want to live there because he said even after they'd found the body the spirit wasn't at rest and that's when the door exploded the glass door exploded and nearly killed him um um and then uh and sort of slit his wrist and then he only returned when the house was bulldozed in the 80s um to make way for uh for making a high-rise apartment and this is this is uh this this is apparently true um and he said as the walls of the wing which had contained my bedroom collapsed they suddenly flew outward and crushed to death the man operating the bulldozer so uh that was in the 80s sort of he was in the 60s that he lived right. there um um but this was and this was after the changeling as well um that that happened but yeah so so he wrote the story and then obviously it's interesting seeing the you know your main problem would be yeah you've got this mystery but who cares because there's no jeopardy to now and what's really good about this is they have they invent the senator um because in reality the person who'd been the changeling had died of old age as well so inconvenient facts like that you then you know, it's it's a good little example of how to how to get something real and what do you need to do to make it make it work. And one one of the main things, you know, when I'm writing reports on scripts is, you know, quite often it's like this happened in the past. You can't have something that's all flashback. Who cares <laughs> if it's all flashback? It's got to, the protagonist. You know, you, you sometimes people their first script will be somebody finding a diary, yeah. reading the diary. And the, and the film's the diary. Um, it's like something's got to happen to the person in the present. And so a brilliant way of that is is the threat to, you know, the, the senator being a bit sinister is 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 kind of, is a thing. Um, also, there is the, there is the sort of, and then and then obviously in real life, he hadn't like lost his mother and child in a horrible accident. Which is good, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, uh, so that's another thing. So, I, I really like the idea that he's reaching out through your loss is a really good line in the yeah. film. Yeah. 
So it kind of makes, you know, it answers the questions of why him, why mm. now? Um, you know, so it's, 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 you know, it's reaching out through his loss. And like I said in the intro, it's, I like the fact that it's, it's scary, but it's not an evil spirit. Yeah. It's somebody who needs, you know, evil has been done to them. Um, and, and also, apparently, in the real life, it was a disabled child right. um, as well, which is why, which is why it's the, you know, the kid in the, the kid in the spooky yeah, yeah. wheelchair, which, which is a, uh, is one of those things that's kind of frowned upon. You know, that it's, it's, it's it, it goes back to when we were talking about fear of fear yeah, of ugly yeah. old women and fear of disabled people. It's they, these are sort of crimes that horror movies often yeah, yeah. make it's the other ring of people isn't it yeah 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 i mean god i mean there's actually a i know from funding and stuff if you're after i think it's film council funding they've they've, they've warned horror people don't put disabled people in it as scary people just happens so often you won't get any money mm. um but it's weird because you know you know you see you know, and it's like, well, somebody, a somebody tell that to to Ari, Ari Aster for Midsummer because he's basically got a scary disabled person in it. Um, yeah, although that person could not have been, might not have been, even been mentioned in the script because he's so inconsequential. I think we said this when we discussed it on the episode. You know, he's he's kind of there in a couple of shots. Um, he's there to be, in, he's, he, yeah. It's I love Midsummer, but he's the, he's there. To be a scary, scary person in the trailers. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And and so so it makes it even worse. Oh no, I agree. Yeah, we're not talking about Midsummer now, but it's yeah. But that's that's the kind of the fear of broken bodies, and but also I think somebody should tell that to whoever makes Bond movies because they're still making, you know, Skyfall. Everyone loved, but he was a horribly disfigured, disabled gay man. Who was the I mean, I think <laughs> that we should just stop making Bond movies. <laughs> I find altogether. them incredibly boring anyway. You would say that, I Stella. Wouldn't, I wouldn't miss Bond movies. Uh, if they never made an, if they, if they. Oh God, I would. I, I, I've, um, never, I've never been bothered by them. No, <laughs> absolutely not. Well, absolute shite. I, I was in media <laughs> studies when we had to watch Goldeneye for six months with uh, Stella. I don't think the pain has ever gone away from for Stella. I mean, I, no. I loved that movie before we did that, and I still do now. Uh, so it wasn't going to hurt me in the same way. I don't think I've ever seen Goldeneye. I mean, so that's the Brosnan one, isn't it? That's Brosnan's first one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just... I've, 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 I've never really sought them out. I watched them because my parents were watching them, but I've not been that bothered by them ever. Uh, they make me... Furious. Feel too fa- <laughs> I, I don't feel like there's any jeopardy because it feels too unreal. I, I, like, I'm never, I'm never think there's any jeopardy because it's just a big joke. I know we didn't come here to talk about Bond movies, and that's probably no. Right. <laughs> anyway, I think it's, a fasc- it's a fascinating discussion to have. I'll yeah. just say, um, kind of slightly linking back to our, our normal topic. It, that came up on one of Spider Dan's podcasts once when they weren't supposed to be talking about Bond films, but it came up somehow. And um, they both had a go at the character of Bond because he's a quote pig, 
I think. <laughs> and and I thought, well, yeah, that's a. He's a psychopath. Well, yeah, no, that's an interesting discussion to have. Definitely, <laughs> um, you know, and we kind of touched on it in Bram Stoker's Dracula as well. I mean, it, it, to what extent do you have to like or admire someone for them to be a good lead character in a, a story? Well, um, well, the thing is, it. you could get away with it in Dracula. We're going really off topic here, but you can get away with <laughs> Dracula because no one. We're, we're liking Dracula, but he's despicable. But that's not the tone they're going for with Bond, is it? We're not watching. Uh, we're not watching a psycho. We're not watching someone who's supposed to be a psycho. We're watching somebody that the people who made it don't realise is a psycho. I, yeah, it's supposed to be a hero. I I disagree. I think he's an anti-hero, <laughs> and I think that basically, no. I I think. <laughs> I would sum up the situation of he's a bastard, but he's our bastard. Unless you they, have the position. That's even but worse. I would, be, I would be fine with that. I would be fine with that if that's actually what they were doing. They're not. He's. It's not. He's a bastard, and he's our bastard. It's like, hey, he's cool. <laughs> that's uh, what yeah. it is. I, I think there are some of the films where that's not the case. Um, I think. Anyway, we're going well off topic. Yeah, I'd yeah. love to have this discussion and another Creepy time. Creepy wheelchair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but getting back to the changeling on that topic, though, I think that in the movie, it, he's got a wheelchair, um, but he's not defined by that, that, and that's not what's made him monstrous. You know, um, yeah, they do use the wheelchair in a scary sequence, but he's mm. not an he, he's not an angry ghost because he was disabled or sickly in life he's an angry yeah. ghost because he was murdered he was by murdered. his own father yeah. dun, dun, dun. and that sequence where you see the flashback of him being drowned in the bathtub and you realize uh, where uh, the sound of the thumping comes from that you've yeah. been hearing yeah. in the house up to that point yeah, is yeah. brilliant oh no i'm certainly, um, not, really I'm certainly not being very down on it but there is definitely uh <laughs> it's also because it is effective seeing that wheelchair the on a psychological level, probably is all sorts of wrong on just about everybody's everybody's psychology is probably a bit wrong. Why is that scary? Why does that wheelchair look scary? <laughs> just cobwebs. Just it's at... not just the fact that it's a, a wheelchair, though. Is it? It's a child's wheelchair. That yeah, that makes it a bit weirder as well. But it's it's very iconic. But yeah, there's probably there's probably some very unattractive reasons. For most people's psychology, I'm talking about myself here. Why it's why it's spooky, why it disturbs. The same reason the crone works is probably some very mm -hmm. dodgy psychology on the part of a lot of people. Oh God, horrible old deformed people. Ugh. Yeah, terrifying. <laughs> but we uh, but we have to be better than that, don't we? <laughs> yeah, and that's why it's tough to be a horror writer. In, in a sensitive age because you have to really stretch far for your horror tropes and that's good mm. it, everybody has to try to find harder. the monster yeah 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 mm. no no and uh, well unless you're Ari Aster in which case you don't so, <laughs> <laughs> but he argues that his movies are not horror films so he, yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. he's just protected on so, so many levels when I, was in a, when I was in a cinema full of people laughing at the laughing at hereditary they'd uh He'd be fine with that, would he? <laughs> yeah. I, I guess he would. I think he, he, he described it as a conspiracy thriller and, oh, um, and Midsommar as a, as a breakup movie. Yeah. So 
as, not, um, as, not, as a, not as an uproarious comedy. <laughs> just how, well, no, that, that's just true. How Which part in Salford did the, receiving it? Did they laugh from the start? Which when did they start laughing? Quite. A, if you yeah. can tell us without spoilers. They laughed when I went to see Hereditary as well. Right. Okay. Really early on. Yeah. I mean, and me and my mate had gone to see it because we were like, "Ooh, it's supposed to be dead scary." And within like the first couple of minutes, as soon as a couple of people started laughing, then every time anything happened, the laughter just sort of took over more and more people in the room. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. It was. It didn't. It didn't ruin it. I still enjoyed it because it was, you know, a rare visit to the cinema for me. But, but yeah, it seemed to the laughter seemed to sort of catch. Yeah. Around the room. It happened with a lot weird. of. Um screenings of it by the sound of it I right. also think I mean, like, when I, I hear to talk about hereditary I think I'll just say very overrated personally we'll, we'll probably have a discussion about that sometime I, yeah. I think that people who defend the movie think that it's kind of got a nudge nudge wink wink quality and there is intentional humour in it mm. and, and mm. after that I missed it when I watched it, but I was too busy being scared um, <laughs> so you know so I, I'm, I'm honestly uh, at, at points, not throughout it, I was also too busy being irritated at, at yeah. a number of points. Well, but, the um, reason Hereditary is in my mm. head as well is, as I was saying to Stella before we started recording, is um, is it popped up on a on Twitter where somebody somebody I follow, I don't even know, I can't remember who it was anyway, but they, some horror person just sort of said, you know, as a discussion point, in scary movies, when you see possessed things moving that's that's uh that's that's that is not scary it's much scarier like the animals in the shining the stuffed animals in the shining or like chairs or chairs suddenly being stacked on top of tables when you don't see them that's scary when you do see them generally that's not scary it looks a bit hokey and it made me think mm. of the only re- the only point in the changing where I thought maybe I could imagine someone guffawing what's mm. the wheelchair chasing right um, yeah chasing her down the stairs and, and, yeah. and also but it made me think of hereditary as well because I was scared of hereditary and I thought this is really well acted and really and really well written and then the fucking chalk stick of chalk started moving and i was like oh, I'm watching, I'm watching <laughs> and suddenly you're watching and then it all um, and hereditary for me just unraveled from that midpoint um, mm. but yeah with the changeling the bit with the chasing wheelchair i did notice that they don't show it going down the stairs you know she goes down about three flights no, of they, stairs yeah, but they, and, well, no, yeah, but well they, they do they, they do, do but only it, when yeah. it's right at the bottom because that's when it just kind of clatters down after yeah, and breaks yeah. Yeah. but but presumably until that point it has been carefully negotiating every single step <laughs> oh dear. So, but, uh, um, yeah, but that that because to me, I it, it was the only bit. It was as a discussion point. Did it did it take you guys out of the movie? Because it was the only bit that made me go. Oh, that's a bit. It looked. It, it, um, it was bordering on cheesy. Um, I think I noticed now as a thirty nine year old that that was pretty cheesy. But as a kid, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> As a kid, I was I was definitely all in. Yeah, yeah. Being um, chased by a spooky wheelchair. Being chased by a che- wheelchair covered in cobwebs, definitely enough to scare me. Yeah. 
when I was eight, nine, seven, I don't know, around mm. there. Um, well, there's lots of aspects of of the the way people just kept dying, like the guy, the because we can say that now, can't yeah. we? The guy in the car. Yeah. yeah. So that, and then when um, when John falls through the <laughs> banister, I love that bit. That was a great stunt. That was a great bit, but I was just like, huh. I feel like I'm watching The Omen again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it reminds um, me of The Omen when people get picked off. That's exactly yeah. what I thought. Yeah. When, the, when the cop turns up just to get killed. Um, yeah. That, that was but I love that in films. Yeah, though. yeah. I think that's kind of... That's why I really like the Stasher film as well, because I enjoy the, the people being picked off sort of structure yeah. of films. And with the, with the change thing, because it takes a while for that to start happening. Yeah. When it does, it's very rewarding when it mm. when it does because we've had a lot of him standing around in his house being a bit puzzled by the banging and 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 it's also a nice bit of misdirection because the cop comes yeah. in and says right i'm gonna investigate you or whatever and it feels like there's going to be a big third act shift mm. and, and the movie's going to become like a courtroom drama or something mm. but then suddenly it just cuts very shockingly to the yeah. guy being dead <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah sorry mate yeah yeah and also that that <laughs> We don't see the car do the magic thing. Like I was saying, we see, you know, it's the chairs being stacked on top of the table. For some yeah. reason, yeah. the car is on its roof. Uh, but we don't see it. So it's uh, it's much more effective than, you know, than clattering wheelchair. But I, I think in general, the, the movie, one reason it works and lasts well is because it's got that naturalistic style, which a lot of movies of this time have, you know, from the from the uh from you know like the exorcist uh, yeah, yeah and before it um uh rosemary's baby and so many other films yeah. the omen kind of in between um has is you know has has its crazy moments but it's still this is happening in the real world they're quite yeah. sober yeah. aren't they yeah yeah and and i guess that goes back to the innocence as well that's very much a stylized version of the real world. Not a lot happens that's not just atmosphere and a strange feeling. The Changeling actually has, if you want to, if you wanted to tear this movie apart, it's full of cliches, but it gets away with them because it's got the ball bouncing down. You know, it's got the ball coming back. It's got balls bouncing downstairs. And how many yeah. times do we see that? I mean, we saw it again in The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix, didn't we? Um, mm-hmm. An American Horror Story as well, it's in there. But it's also, it works on this because not a lot of things are happening. Um, yeah. And and we are getting somebody who's quite secular to go, hmm, I think I need to have a seance. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, at the seance, when the medium, when she's doing the thing, when she's writing on the yeah, page. Yeah, that's really effective. Or scribbling, and then she writes the, the odd word. Mm. She does that in um, Insidious. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, on watching it this week, I was thinking, huh, this feels like, well, well, rather, Insidious feels, on reflection, a lot like the Changeling. There's certainly bits in it that are very, Mm. sort of echoing the Changeling a lot. And certainly when she was doing the writing and she's getting faster and faster and more erratic and more erratic, and the noise of the pen on the paper... Is you know is the bit in the soundtrack that takes over that scene, mm. and then she's she's writing words yes, and then the the male um, assistant who's with her again the same in Insidious he's saying yes no when she's writing mm. the 
whatever the boy who's stuck on the astral plane bollocks is going on in Insidious. Um, <laughs> I must say I've never seen Insidious, but uh... I like it. It's it's all right. It's worth a watch. It's not it's not a, a rewatcher, I don't think. But yeah, but the the medium or the séance scene is essentially, and they've got an old school tape recorder as well in Insidious. Yeah. Mm. It's essentially the same. Yeah. So yeah, have a look. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to see some of the the later Insidious movies because the the um mm. the medium person becomes the lead, doesn't she? She does. Yeah, um, I think that's quite an interesting idea. Yeah. Um, so uh, Ian, you did mention the Innocence, and that links <coughs> me to the director of this, Peter Medak. Mm-hmm. He definitely stated that the Innocence was something he wanted to evoke, as was the original The Haunting. Um, and I just want to talk about him for a minute and some people with links to things. So Medak is a really interesting uh, director with a totally random career. And there's a few people connected to this film whose careers are really random. Um, he's directed for TV and film in all kinds of genres. He he did return to the horror genre and, and hit a horror low by directing Species 2 in 1998. <laughs> but for the benefit of Kirsty, who, who we wish was here but can't be, um, he did... Because it's her birthday. It is her, birthday, her birthday, birthday as we record. Happy birthday, Kirsty. It won't be your birthday. She's doing something worse, isn't she? She's working. Oh, dear. <laughs> Hopefully not now at half eight. Hopefully she's... Okay eating snacks and drinking alcohol <laughs> yeah she's been teaching i think hasn't she but um yeah, yeah. so anyway but, go on. but yeah so <laughs> later on in even later in his career medak did reach a horror high again by directing episodes of hannibal there it um, is <laughs> and like he he, he, he did like he's done british and american tv since the early 70s and he's so. still with us isn't he um, I'm I I'm not sure. Actually. Was he taken in the reckoning of 2016? Oh, oh dear. <laughs> oh, I hope not. Um, also, he was married to the actress Carolyn Seymour, who is the star of the the BBC horror um, survival drama Survivors. Um, they divorced in the mid 80s. A lot of facts there. Um, Talking of Britbox. Yeah. I've got my money's worth just watching Survivors. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I would. I think, um, yeah, one episode of Survivors, one of the better ones, pretty much pays for it, as far as I'm concerned. Um, she's she was great. Um, not sponsored? <laughs> uh, no, not at all. Good news, Peter Medak is still alive. Oh, fantastic! Hey. That's wonderful. Born in 1937, um, <laughs> so he's uh, he's a fair old oh, wow. age. He's knocking on. He's nearly as old as my mum. Bless him. Yeah, yeah. Hungarian born. Uh, there's a few other people in this movie with a random career. Jean Marsh, who we mentioned, yeah. uh, Ian, you called her Doctor Who girl, which of course she was in the 60s. But also upstairs, downstairs. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. The most random career. She gets the uh, she gets high billing in this film. It says and Jean Marsh. Yeah. By the point in the film at which her credit comes up, she is already dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> In the you know in the, in the 70s she not only acted in but created and co-wrote the TV series Upstairs Downstairs. Um, in around about the year 2000, she was the villain in um, a random CBBC um, sci-fi thriller show, which I remember catching a few episodes of. It was in that period of time when there was no sci-fi on tv and so i watched like children's <laughs> stuff and it was basically like teabag if you remember do you remember teabag stella oh, i used to love it was that. that kind of thing and she played that yeah. kind of character and also I you know she, she's the villain in 
the movie Willow and also in Return to Oz. She says the classic line in Willow. In Willow, in Willow, she does the whole, oh, what's it, the thing with the pigs? Oh, I haven't seen it. Oh, God, what is it? You're all pigs, that's it. Sorry, I've just <laughs> it. It's you're all pigs. It, uh, I know because I had it, I had it as a clip on YouTube I played on a quiz right at the beginning of... Um, right at the beginning of lockdown you know that big in fact that really big quiz that you did dan that went on till three in the morning because i didn't know how all right <laughs> yeah one of those <laughs> one of those clips one of those clips was named the film and it was gene marsh going you're pigs <laughs> as uh i wonder if she'll be, i wonder if she'll be back in the uh in the new in the new willow movie Oh yeah, who knows? Well, you know, she—it's amazing she's still going. I'm always delighted to see her. She's she's a great presence. Also, there's an actor in this film called Barry Morris who gets quite high billing for appearing in basically one shot. Mm. He is the hospital psychiatrist who um, George C. Scott walks through a door with him, and he's saying, "Oh, I totally believe you that your house is haunted. We get these cases in all the time. Ninety-nine percent of them." Are, are nonsense, but one percent, oh, definitely true. He basically Ooh. he says that and then leaves the film, and he gets high billing for doing that. I did make a note when I was watching it of, uh, yeah, for all its naturalism, it did suddenly have psychic psychic research as a location exposition, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit like maybe you didn't need that. Could you not just like have a priest? Well, yeah, <laughs> the great thing about that scene is that the camera doesn't even stop moving. The film wants to get through that scene so fast. They don't even <laughs> sit down. It's like, yeah, and all, all it does, and it, and am I right? It just links to, is it just, is it just there for him to say, I know someone who's a medium? Yeah, basically. So basically, yeah. yeah. Probably, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. One of the... It's the days before Facebook recommendations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but generally, what I love about the changeling is it's really well written because so many and structured, and so many, so many movies. Kind of for me, because I, you know, I'm all about interrogating scripts and things. So many movies are good in lots of ways, but Hereditary, for instance, I would have had, I would have completely butchered that film and made it good if i'd got it at script stage no offense Ari Aster, <laughs> it's a bloody mess full of unnecessary bollocks um and and it you know and then that and that takes away from the horror of it and the scariness of it and the everything of it because you just, yeah you know it just it just falls apart in its second half and back to slugging off hereditary but what i like about everything about the changeling just about is really well put together from cinematography to, you know, to the structure of the, you know, he's a musician, not just for the hell of it, because it, it feeds yeah. into the movie. He starts composing, you know, yeah. he starts composing, it feels natural, but actually he starts composing the, the, the music box score. There's, there's a reason for everything. It's, it's really, it's a really intricately, you know, put together thing. And it's weird because he is a playwright, the guy who, you know, Russell Hunter, who put the yeah. story together that the screenplay's mm. based upon. Um, and, and I think that shows because, you know, you know, I'm always, I'm always so aware of when I can look at stuff and go, oh, but they could have just tried a bit harder with making things work. And, but yeah, but you're right, the, the psychic research bit. 
is uh, yeah. is 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 them going that didn't need to happen, did it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, could have maybe, you could have maybe have just gone, cut. Here's some, here's some medium. <laughs> He could have just decided for himself. <laughs> I need a medium. It is good to see Barry Morse, who uh, I think maybe Peter Madak knew because he was in Space 1999, which Madak directed ah. episodes of. Um, and he was Barry Morse was also in the movie Asylum with Peter Cushing and Robert Powell, which is one of my one of the movies which put me here really. Um, really important um, movie in my sort of teenage years. Um, Okay, so I'm I'm going to choose this moment to throw a spanner in the works, um, in, or rather in the works of your enthusiasm, Ian, because I'm not quite as frightened by this movie as as you, um, and I, I I don't think I love it as much. Although I do think it's great, and I wouldn't change much about it. But um, although it's got a couple of bone chilling moments in it, mm. um, such as I mean, for me the most chilling kind of spectral moment is when he sees the boy's face under the bathwater for the Mm. first time you know real running chills down your spine kind of stuff and there's a couple of moments like that and it has this incredibly powerful well to me i i think that the fact is every time i've watched it i've enjoyed it and liked it but not found it very memorable. And by the time I've watched it again, I've forgotten almost everything. <laughs> the only thing that I always remember is the opening, because I think it's so... Just the, just the death of the wife great. and daughter, it's so powerfully done. You just described the, almost every Cohen Brothers movie for me. It's like, especially the Big Lebowski. All <laughs> <gasps> like, oh, right. Like, no! Like, yeah, that's a really good film that I can't remember watching. You're not the first person to say that, actually. I can't. I I couldn't. I've I've watched it so many times, and I feel like I must have fallen asleep halfway through, but I know I didn't. Because we can no longer be friends. But I mean, that could be a mark of quality (laughs) if you still enjoy the movie every time you watch it. You know. No, but I think Um, I get a bit bored of it, and then I go. I go. Oh, this is really this. This is really good. This is really good. Then they're on the cliff, throwing the ashes off. And I don't know what right. I don't know how A led to K. <laughs> well, anyway, in the case of the changeling, yeah. I was always wondering why do I not find this memorable, and why am I not amazingly scared by it? Because I do think it's so well done in a lot of ways. I think I realised this time why um, I've not found it amazingly frightening, or as frightening as perhaps other people do, and also why I find it somewhat unmemorable. And it's kind of similar to the sentiment that Roger Ebert expresses in his review, where basically he says it's not scary enough because George C. Scott doesn't seem scared. Mm-hmm. And he kind of phrases it almost like it's a knock on Scott's acting, like, you know, he should be better mm. at seeming scared because he doesn't seem afraid you're not afraid for him. Um, he does handle it quite well, doesn't he? Yeah. He does, but I realised this time... I don't think it's a knock on his performance. I think it's entirely appropriate that he reacts the way he does. The thing is, for that character, for John Russell, the worst thing that could possibly happen in his life has already happened to him before the title. Mm. Yeah. He's got nothing else to lose, and the movie doesn't... Having taken away his his wife and daughter at the start, the movie does not set up anything better for him to get, to, to stay living for. Therefore... Maybe, maybe, maybe you're right. It doesn't work. Maybe 
it works really well as a drama. Maybe yeah. that does take out, take away from the scariness because it does something brave, which is it's not an evil spirit. What do you lose from that? Well, he's not an evil spirit. He's not coming for you in the same way. He's going to kill the bad cop mm. for you. So I guess, I guess <laughs> what you're saying is right. But also, I like, I like the way psychologically he's guilt ridden by his by not being able to help his family. Yeah, yeah. And that's why he wants to help the murdered kid. Help the boy, yeah. Um, so, so it's a thriller and a mystery. I guess it works better than a scary film. Yeah, and as a drama, I think you're completely right. I mean, also because of that, the movie avoids the cliche which you often get in, in this kind of horror film, where you just go, why does this person not just leave the house? Yeah, yeah. And the reason <laughs> is because he's not... He's not scared enough to leave the house. Actually, he probably slightly welcomes it. There's actually a scene in the movie where he is in bed crying and he stops crying because the thumping starts up in the house. And it's like he welcomes the distraction because he's so in grief that Mm -hmm. it just gives him something else to focus on. And So I think it works well on that level. Yeah, I mean... I guess it's weird for me as well because I'm always saying like I like dark endings and I like ghost stories that are, you know, you know, like a laser beam and and people are punished and everyone dies at the end. But this is the opposite in that it's a redemption. He's he's I mean, you could maybe go into it and say they could maybe have tweaked it. So it was actually his fault, but it's not. It's just a random act of tragedy it's just tragic accident isn't it so maybe Mm. you could say you know if it was a bit more his fault then it's got something to atone for (laughs) if he was a bit more negligent (laughs) and maybe if he's crazy maybe if he's psychologically unravels a bit more because i guess ebert's right in that he is actually quite a solid bloke and he's very likable yeah but Mm. but yeah but um but the uh, his poor old real life wife has to do a lot of screaming to do a lot of scariness. I mean, I wonder if <laughs> the filmmakers John? and maybe the original script there is an implicit <laughs> thing going. I think you could read into it that John and Claire do get together in the movie. You know, basically it's well, it's definitely flirting. With yeah. Them. Um, but the the movie does not develop that enough for you to go. Oh, they could be happy, therefore they've got something to lose. Mm. You know, it's more yeah. like they've survived this horrible experience together, therefore maybe they'll get together. But we don't know. Credits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe there is all reasons why there. Are, this isn't. This is a minor cult classic rather than a definite cult classic because, you know, a bit like when we were talking about. Um, you know, we were talking about uh, Legend of Hell House. That's got a similar mm. amount of flaws. Have you seen the Legend yeah. of Hell House, Stella? Nope. No, no, but I won't spoil it for you anyway. In any way. Legend of Hell House has a ridiculous ending. This movie does not do that. No, mm. no. It doesn't have an ending which undoes the whole film. No, I really, I really like the, I really like the ending, but it's not actually very scary. I'll admit. No, but what what I'll say about the ending is that it's satisfying. Um, 50% satisfying because I think there are really two stories in this film mm. one of them is the story of Joseph the, the murdered child mm. 
and one of them is the story of John. And <laughs> towards the end, John, <laughs> and towards the end of the movie, the film forgets <laughs> about John's story and concentrates on Joseph. And everything it does to resolve Joseph's story is satisfying. You know, yeah. the senator returning to the house and then dying and all that. But but the end of John's story is he just leaves the house with Claire, who he may or may not yeah. be flirting with a bit. I also think the senator's story, the senator's story, is also a story. Um, and I also think, did you not? Yeah. This is this is again the omen. Did you not think he was a senator because of the omen having a? There was there, there was a feel of. It's the linking was, the linking of the supernatural yeah, with politics. Yeah. And, but it, but it also made me yeah. think. Actually, because when, you, when you're going into scripts before they've been made into films, so it's a bit late now because it was 1980 and they've made their decisions. But if you were to go at this and go, as a protagonist, is this the best person to be in this? Because actually, he has, like you said, hasn't got much to lose. The worst thing that could happen to him has happened to him and it wasn't his fault. Mm. And then you go, ooh, what if? It's called the changeling, and it's and it's it's an old man's sudden realization that his life is a lie. If that was your protagonist, then that would be yeah. oh my god! And then he ends up having a heart attack and walking into a burning in any spirit form, walking into a burning house. Yeah, I do like I love that shot yeah. of him going up the staircase. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, yeah, I agree, Stel. If it was if it was from his point of view, and 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 it was and it was his sin. Then, then that would be an amazing film. Maybe there's a way of writing it. Without go on, Ian, write the prequel, sequel, spin-off. Let's mention very quickly Melvin Douglas, who plays yeah, that yeah. character. Um, he was a major film star in the 30s and the yeah. 40s. He was as old as the century. So he died a year later at the age of um, 80. Wow. Um, it's funny that he took in his last two years of his life having won loads of Oscars and, and being a heartthrob and all this stuff and had decades of a career behind him, he just took a swing into horror movies. The next and final film that he made after this is called Ghost Story, and it's basically four old white guys versus a ghost. Cool. I'd really like to see it. It's not meant to be great, but it's it's him. It's him, John Houseman. Uh not Bing Crosby, Fred Astaire. Um, I can't remember who the in fourth one story. is. And the ghost. Wow. Yeah, and the uh, and the ghost in the movie is played by a very young Alice Krieger, who is who last year played the uh, the witch in uh, Oz Perkins's Gretel and Hansel, and is known to Star Trek fans as the Borg Queen, and and was in Terror to Fire and all kinds of stuff. So I'd really like to see that, even though it's not meant to be great, but oh, it wow. does sound so, really interesting. Because he won an Oscar in 1980, his second, for being there, which came out which came out in 79, but he won the best supporting, his second best supporting Oscar. So he won, he won one in 64 for supporting Paul right. Newman in Hood, which is a great movie. But then, yeah, then he won one. I didn't realise he died so soon after, but yeah. yeah. So yeah, so... He, he won one in 1980. Um, the Changeling came out. Then was he dead before Ghost Story came out? Or he might have been. Either way, it's quite it's quite morbid Yikes. this podcast sometimes, isn't it? Because I've also got written down. <laughs> I've also got written down like George C. Scott in the lead. He's kind of someone I don't know that much about because I've never seen Exorcist Three. I know he's in it, 
an Exodus 3 we're mm. going to do as a Lost Classic, and I'll be the yes. idiot that has somehow managed to love The Exorcist and not watch any of the series. I've not seen it either. So, yeah. So we're going to go and watch that at some point. But, yeah, so George C. Scott's in that. Sure. But it's, it's weird because he goes 1970 pattern when he plays. And, he, yeah. and as we were saying before recording, he turned down his Oscar. He warned them he would, and they still gave it to him anyway. And he refused it because he... Not, not for any sort of political reasons, but for lo- he, he dubbed them philosophical reasons because he just said acting isn't a competition and every 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 performance is its own thing and you can't compare them, which is kind of true because... Well, yeah, he's not wrong, but but I'd, I'd take the Oscar, quite frankly. <laughs> I was about to. I was about to do it. I was about to accidentally do a name drop for you there, Stella. Oh. When I when I when I interview, really makes me laugh though. Oh, he's not doing no, it no, now. I'm literally so tired because I've been getting up at five o'clock. I can't remember his name. He's really famous. Um, <laughs> That's yeah, yeah. cheating. Hang on, let me just pick that back up. You don't deserve I'm it. I'm having a senior moment. <laughs> um, he's so fa- he's so famous that like. <laughs> Like you would just go, how can you get his name? And he died in 2016. He was one of those, and he was in and part of the reckoning. And and <laughs> Alan Rickman. There we go. Oh, like, yeah. Clang. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, that's how big a name he is, and I couldn't remember it. I'm so tired. It's a big one to pick up. <laughs> he was Clang. Uh, my Alan Rickman story is actually quite good. Yeah. It was Edinburgh Fen. It was at Edinburgh Festival for uh, <laughs> it was for uh, for Snowcake with Sigourney Weaver, who I also met. Um, oh yeah, Clang. yeah, yeah. Clang. Um, <laughs> but I was, I, but we went to the party, and it was a very boozy affair anyway. Steve Coogan, Clang, Clang, um, <laughs> was the producer, um, so he was there, um, and we all got very drunk in this party at Edinburgh, Edinburgh Film Festival. And then the next morning, I mean, it felt like morning, it was probably <laughs> midday. Um, I turned up at the hotel to interview Alan Rickman. And <laughs> the PR came up to me. I was so drunk and and so hungover, rather, that I had a beer. Just to go, I need to, I'm about to talk to Alan Rickman. Um, I've got diarrhea and... <laughs> I'm so over. I just had to have a pint. Um, and and then the PR came up to me who I knew um, quite well anyway. And he just said, he just said, oh Jesus, look at the state of you. He said, don't think it'll matter. Um, after the party, the cast got cooganed, which meant the party carried on somewhere else, and they were mm. absolutely. <laughs> you can beat that. And uh, and. <laughs> And Alan, Alan, and apparently Alan Rip. He said Alan Rickman. I think Alan Rickman might die today. Um, is is what he said. Unfortunate foreshadowing. Um, Alan, yeah, I just interviewed Alan Rickman, and he and he just spoke very quietly and even more slowly and more Alan Rickman like, and didn't move in his seat like he looked, and he was quite grey. And we didn't talk about the fact we were both so hungover. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice mutual understanding yeah. between yeah. you there. Mark Evans was the uh, 
Mark Evans of My Little iPhone was the director, <laughs> and weirdly I interviewed him afterwards. Yeah, we mentioned in the podcast last week. Yeah, Mark Evans. I, Mark Evans I interviewed after Alan Rittman. I got through the Alan Rittman bit, and uh, Mark Evans I interviewed after, and he thankfully came in and go, Jesus, we got Coogan last night. I am fucked. I'm having a drink. Do you want a drink? <laughs> I was like, so we had more drinks to drink off our hangover. Wow. But yeah, the reason Alan Mittman popped in my head was because he was talking about Oscars are fairly meaningless because it's all about the, it's all about a certain type of part. It's not about necessarily how good an actor you are. Yeah. Yeah. It's the part comes along that becomes the sort of thing that might win an Oscar. So an Oscar is a fairly, fairly narrow bullshit thing. (laughs) Even to be nominated for an Oscar is a fairly narrow bullshit thing because you can be an amazing actor, but you're not doing a big showy part. So why would you win an Oscar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) We'll we'll have to wrap this up in a second. Um, I do have... I'll just say I do love the fact that, you know, George C. Scott's got a fairly... um, you know, conventional big screen movie star career, but in from 1980 to 1990, he he swings into the supernatural and he bookends that decade with these two movies that we've talked about. And in the middle of it, he plays Scrooge in one of the best versions yeah. of Christmas Carol, which is not a horror movie, but you know, it's it it counts as far as I'm concerned. It it's does. the right genre. It's got ghosts in it. Yeah, well, I was going to say that the re- the reason the reason I was about to sort of say this is quite point uh, quite morbid is. Because his whole, I was, I was kind of looking at him going, he died in 1999 and he was 71. So he's, he's mm. two years older than me in, in the changeling. And he looks fucked to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know I probably look a bit locked down scraggly, but um, I don't look like George C. Scott in the changeling. Um, but yeah, but yeah, mm. he had lots and lots of heart attacks. But I was just looking. I was just looking at his uh, how he died and everything, and the, just just the sentence was, he died on September twenty second, nineteen ninety nine, aged seventy one, of a ruptured abdominal aortic aneurysm. He was interred in the Westwood Village Memorial Park Cemetery in Westwood, California, in an unmarked grave located to the right of Walter Matar, <laughs> which I just thought was brilliant. <laughs> Random. Okay, so that's how we know where George C. Scott is. Yeah, right. yeah. So I think, I think the unmarked grave bit must have been part of his sort of unfussiness and yeah, yeah. General. I quite like him, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I hope, no, he seems. I, I hope, hope Trish Van Der Veer's all right. Um, yeah. Okay, I think we better wrap this up, folks. Um, it's been fascinating to talk to the to, to the two of you about the Changeling for an hour or so. I hope that we've introduced some people to it who hadn't already been introduced to it by Spider-Dan's podcast, because I think we probably have a bit of a crossover audience. Hello, everybody. Um, <laughs> so let's get on to recommendations for this week. Stella, you've got a recommendation, I think. No, he doesn't forget who Alan Rittman's name is. <laughs> I do have a recommendation. Uh, sorry, Dan, it's on Netflix. Um, it's called Spree, and it's directed by Eugene... Hang on. Eugene Cox. Kotlian Yalanrenko? I don't know. Um, and it stars Joe Keery, who was in Stranger Things. Um, essentially, it's a bit... It's a bit found footagey, but kind of not utilises social media platforms. And essentially, he live streams his murder spree 
hence it being called spree. I um I would suggest yeah. Not a shopping spree. <laughs> it's not a supermarket sweep with Dale Winton. <laughs> I would suggest that um, you watch it on a laptop because it has, because he's live streaming it, as it were, through Facebook, and you can see the little messages at the bottom. So it's worth watching it on your laptop rather than trying to watch it on on your telly because you'll miss loads of the sort of stuff around the sides of the screen. Um, oh, but yeah, it was really really good. And Joe 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 Keery Joe Keeney, am I saying that right? Um, his performance is really, really good in it, and he does lots of it to camera because he's doing it to his audience. But it's yeah, it's great. It's really good fun. Which one is he from Stranger Things? He's um, I'm gonna have to have a look. Best known for playing Steve Harrington in Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. Right, cool. But yeah, his performance is excellent, know, yeah. and the film, the films, it's a good laugh. It's a bit kind of, it's flirting with being a bit snuffy at times, I think. Yeah, it's good. He's he's the horrible boyfriend who becomes cool, isn't he? I think Steve. I've only seen what. Yes. Right. Yeah, he's the yeah. boyfriend. He yeah. had yeah, he had good presence. Okay, maybe I'll check yeah. that out before I cancel my Netflix. Yeah, and, your last one. Yeah. <laughs> your last gasp. It's it's weird. It's weird because it feeds into my Ooh. recommendation, which has reminded me of it's a podcast on BBC Sounds called Bad People. I don't know if you know it. Uh, no. Um. It's brilliant. It's true crime, um, and it's um, Sophie Hagen. <gasps> I love her. Um, yeah. Oh God, she's amazing. Mm. Sophie Hagen, and um, she's sort of there to represent us because she doesn't know these. She the, the stories are sort of told to her by her friend, who's a criminal psychologist from Canada, whose name is, eludes me. Um, and they're both brilliant, and they both talk about other stuff, and they're both mates, and it's. And it, because it's Sophie Hagen, a stand-up comic, you kind of think, well, this isn't very appropriate to be... And it's not f- played for laughs. It's played for human emotion. So it's, it's very out. real and very effective. And he, and he just I just binged the whole lot when I discovered it a couple of weeks ago. And, um, and the reason it fits in is there's somebody who live streams a murder. So it's a bit... Cool. Well, there we go. So it's a bit a, that kind of maybe puts the Netflix movie in a mm, different light. Professional link. In that being a bit exploitative. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> in a watch three because it sounds awesome. What's the name of that podcast? Sorry, Ian. It's called Bad People on BBC Sounds. On BBC Sounds. I'm going to get some of that. Thanks. Each one's about forty minutes, thirty minutes, forty minutes, and um, and some of them are really dark. I mean, it's got it's got the Bulger Killers in one of them, but it's also very internationalist mm-hmm. because. It talks about, it, it, you know, murders you've never heard of. Every, every single one of them, you go, God, this would be a good film. Because it's got really weird stuff happening in, like, weird states and stuff that the police missed because of racial, racial reasons quite often. There's a really amazing one in Canada where this prolific serial killer just killed so many refugees who were gay and so that alone because they weren't officially gay because a lot of them were from homophobic societies um and so their gay them going to the gay village was secret and then because it was gay people and brown gay people being killed the police didn't give a shit so all these things but just that episode alone is like that'd be an amazing film so um we've 
we've come right up to the edge as always i'll very quickly say my recommendation it's hannibal on this podcast the listener doesn't need to get any other explanation except that (laughs) if you watch it it's on amazon prime you've got two episodes directed by peter maddock so there's the link okay there you go right oh cool thank you so much stella thank you so much ian we'll be back next week with what i know not thanks dan all right thanks for listening everybody bye bye (laughs) john (laughs) you have been listening to and now the podcast starts produced and released by ambidextrous solutions limited presented by td velasquez stella gaynor and ian winterton Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com more content and contact details or visit our facebook pages at and now pod or at lee cushing pod follow us on twitter at and now podcast or at lee cushing podcast if you'd like to donate to us please visit patreon.com forward slash and now podcast and now The podcast stops.